special thank you to Mr. and Mrs. Michael and Judy Kaiser for sponsoring tonight's shear. Uh, the shear is in honor of the 35th yard site of Mrs. Kaiser's mother, Chaya Merrill, Bas Rebbe Chiel HaKohen. Her neshama should have an aliyah, Mr. Hashem, through the continued growth of the mishpacha and the avodas Hashem, I'm sure the neshama will be soaring. I'm just not so in the mood. I'm not feeling it. It's hard to, uh, to bring myself to do what I feel maybe I should do, maybe I want to do. And we live in a time where, Baruch Hashem, we're very understanding of psychological struggles and different challenges we may have personally, culturally, within my family, within my community. But part of the, uh, the understanding and the sympathy we have comes with a lack of urgency. The idea of doing something because I have to, although I may not fully understand it, I may not fully appreciate it, it may not feel good right now, but this is the achrayas, this is the call of the hour, this is what has to be done. So we live in a time where <clears throat> there are many reasons why not to do what I should be or could be doing. And those reasons might be valid. The feelings might be true. But there's always that avoda of pushing ourselves past what feels right in the moment. Sometimes the answer is, you know what, I'm not in the mood. I'd rather not wake up right now. I'd prefer not to stop my dinner in the middle of it and, and leave to Mincha. I just got home from work. But it might be the right thing to do. So I want to explore how do we do that. This is really the concept of getting above or moving beyond the certain limitations of the mind or limitations of the Hargosha, breaking out of what I call a mind trap. If you were to think of the two most severe mistakes made throughout history. One by individuals and the second by Klal Yisrael. What two points in time would you think of? The two greatest sins of all time that had a transformative impact on the future, on the destiny of humanity and Klal Yisrael. One sin was committed by the nation and one by individuals. What two ideas come to mind? What do you say? The eagle and, and the etzadas, right? Worshipping the golden cap was probably the greatest sin of Kalal Yisrael in our history. And we're still feeling the vibrations of that hate even now, thousands of years later. And likely the greatest mistake ever made by individuals was the Eitzadas, transforming reality, changing the, uh, the very makeup and essence of humanity. Everything was changed based on those two actions. Superficially, those two chatoyim have nothing to do with each other. But I'd like to explore that there seems to be a common thread. The, the Nisoyon, the challenge of the Eitzadas, 
that was failed, and the Nisayon of the Egel that was failed seem to be very similar. I want to explore that together. We have Parshas Para this week, and um, there are different reasons given as to why we read Parshas Para, what level obligation is it. Rashi in the uh, beginning of Chukas tells us that the Para Duma is actually serving as some form of kapara for the Cheta Egel. Right? The Para Duma is somehow a uh, way of atoning for the Cheta Egel. And the example that Rashi quotes in the Tanchuma is Moshul ben Shivcha Shetinev Platin Shel Melech. There's one of the maidservants of the palace of the king and her child starts destroying things and making a huge mess. So Omru, they said to her, Tavo Imo, or they called to the servants in general, bring the mommy of this child, this Kaneach Hatsoa, and tell her to please clean up all of the dirt, all of the schmutz. Kach, Tavo Pora, Uskaper Egel. So too, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us the mitzvah of Pora Duma, which is used to purify from Tumas Meis. And there seems to be a connection that just like the mother of the child is coming and cleaning up all of the schmutz, putting all the toys away, somehow the para duma is assisting Klal Yisrael in cleansing us from the sin of the golden calf. The Beis HaLevi, he was the great co-Rosh Hashiva Velozhin, when he quotes this Rashi, he says, we see there's similarities between the Paraduma and the Egel Hazav. And if you analyze the Yotzer that many say during Parshas Para, it's a form of slichos, extra prayer that's inserted in the tefillah, there, there's this correlation that goes into every detail Every, every detail of what took place at the Chedegel and what's corresponding to that in the ceremony or the process of the Paraduma. And somehow it seems extremely clear, like Rashi tells us, the Paraduma is serving as a kapara, as a way of atoning for the Egel Hazov. How exactly it does that needs explanation. What else potentially do we have in Chumash that seems to be a way of atoning for the golden calf? What other mitzvah do we receive as Kalal Yisrael that helps gain forgiveness for the Egel Hazav? The Mishkan, right? The creation of the Mishkan. And there's a discussion as to chronologically when exactly was the mitzvah of the Mishkan given. Rashi tells us in the beginning of Parshish Kisisa, he says, we have the principle of Ein Mukta Mumuchar Torah. Not everything is in chronological order. And according to Rashi, the hate of the Egel came before the command of the Malachas HaMishkan. Svorno and others seem to agree, in contrast to the Ramban and other Rishonim. And many explain that the Mishkan was actually a way of helping us achieve kapara for the Cheta Egel. 
somehow building the Mishkan, creating this space within Olam Hazeh to have the Hashros Hashchina, to have the Divine Presence live amongst us, that was a way of gaining kapara, of gaining forgiveness for the Chet Egel. So we have two mitzvos, the Parah Duma and the building of the Mishkan, and they're both addressing the same issue, the greatest sin of the history of Kalal Yisrael, the Chet Egel. How exactly does the Paraduma and the building of the Mishkan rectify the sin of the Chet Egel? So there's a fairly well-known piece by the Beis Halevi where he writes that we have to understand exactly what took place. What was the mindset of Klal Yisrael as they were waiting for their leader to come down? They were obviously anxious. There was a pachad nora, there was a fear of being isolated, of being alone. And we know that it wasn't just, let's revert back to our old idolatrous ways. There was something very teeth, very deep. What was the thought process of Klal Yisrael when they chose to make the Egel Hazov? So the base Levi tells us, Bechol mitzvah yesh tamim v'kavanos We know that in every mitzvah we have, every aspect of the mitzvah, every nuance and detail of the mitzvah, there are sodos, there are secrets, there are very powerful, deep things that are happening. And through doing one mitzvah, although here we don't see it, we can't feel it, we barely believe it sometimes, but doing a mitzvah has incredible power in different celestial worlds. Shekol bechol tamim He says, for sure, when it comes to the creation of the Mishkan, and the Torah does not speak sparsely about all of the details and every aspect that was needed, and the kalim, and the kroshim, and the parochis, and all the different aspects of the Mishkan, there are four parshiyas that are spent detailing everything. Obviously, it wasn't just the, uh, the cute plan that Hashem put together because He likes a splash of turquoise here and a little crimson wool over here. There's so much Kabbalah involved. Every little, little prat of the Mishkan was doing something in the heavens, doing something in the celestial spheres. Klal Yisrael explains the Beis Levi understood that there was this plan, potentially, for them to do something here in this world using physical material, organic material, that will actually make the, the, the presence of Hashem more tangible. Klal Yisrael understood this was in the works, potentially. As they're waiting for their leader and they're feeling this sense of fear and the Satan is playing mind games with them, they come to the conclusion, we can't go on without our manhig, we need a leader, we don't feel Hashem's presence close enough and we don't have Ha'ish Moshe, we don't have our human leader. Therefore they thought, let's create the Mishkan now. We're all masters of Kabbalah. We understand how the physical can bring down the spiritual. 
Let's work together, Ba'amkus with depth, with profundity. Let's, let's make a mishkan. They didn't rely on their own uh, chachma, but rather they went to Aaron HaKohen. They knew that he was obviously in a different plane than they were. And he was well aware of all of the secrets of Kabbalah that would be involved in constructing something tangible that they could relate to and connect with. They were not building an idol. They were not trying to run away from Hashem. They were just trying to bring Hashem closer. It was coming from the purest motivation possible. It was a holy fire. We want Hashem with us. And we feel this, this void because Moshe is not here to guide us. So what was their mistake? Right? In, the, in the interpretation of the Beis Alevi, what he did was he takes the, the greatest sin of all time and pretty much turns it on its head. And says, the truth is, it's not a vote of Zorah. It wasn't running away from Hashem. It wasn't replacing Moshe necessarily. It was just a craving and yearning for closeness with Hashem. And they needed to, to start the Mishkan process before the mitzvah was officially given. So why is that such a big deal? Says Rav Yosef Dov Salavechik, Amnam to'u bezeh tos echad. There was one Small mistake. This is the bottom line here on page one. Dein emes de maisa odem ba'olam atachton gorim tikunim v'sidorim tovim b'cholo lomos. Obviously, what we do down here has awesome ramifications in all of the spiritual worlds. Ki kach gozer haboriyus borach. This is how Hashem created the universe. Right, the Tzelem Elokim, the Neshama of a human being, the Nefesh Shechayim explains. It's called Selim Elokim, the image of Elokim, not Selim Hashem. Why is it Selim Elokim, the image of Elokim? Because we know that the connotation of Elokim is connected to being a Bore. And that's really what a human being is. We are creators. We're made in the image of God, which means practically we have the ability to create on levels that are beyond our comprehension. With every thought, every word, every action, we are doing incredible things, creating angels, creating olamos. There is so much happening to the point where the Gemara and Bracha says on Davav that if theoretically Hashem would open our eyes just for a moment, and we would experience all of the forces around us, all of the, the different elements and the kochos and the shedim and the malachim, we couldn't live for a second. We would pass away based on just being overwhelmed by the, by the, the awesome, majestic reality of what's around us. So it's true. We have that ability to create. However, but if we choose to do something that was not instructed by Hashem, midas atzmo, it's based on what feels right or what I think is correct, as oso maisa eno moel klum, 
that action doesn't have any impact. So theoretically, it could be together working with our own, they could actually build, based on physical material, something that would enable the Jewish people to feel Hashem more and bring them a sense of comfort. But it wasn't the tzivui, it wasn't the command, and therefore doesn't work. Right? You could build this, this beautiful edifice and it looks the exact same potentially as a Mishkan, but there's only one thing lacking, namely, you were not commanded by God. And therefore, the electricity is not working. It can't function. That was the mistake, that was the Chet Egel. Basilevi concludes, he says, therefore, when the mitzvah of Paraduma was given to Klal Yisrael, Kasher Tziva Hashem es Moshe, to take the Paraduma, I'm sorry, the, uh, the mitzvah of the Mishkan that was given to Klal Yisrael to build the Mishkan, they were given all of the exact details of how to build it, what to do, how the, the measurements, the exact formation, and then it keeps on saying in Parshas Pekudei, Kasher Tziva Hashem es Moshe. And they did like Hashem commanded Moshe. And it says that phrase over and over again. Why do you have to repeat that? They're following the instructions. They have the manual. This is how you build the Mishkan. Twelve easy steps. Basilevi tells us because the Torah is making the point this was the tshuva, this was the kapara for the Chet Egel. The Chet Egel was allowing themselves to do something without the Das Torah, without Hashem's instruction, but midas atzmam, it was based on their own feelings and their own desire to connect, but not through the, the, the guidance of Torah. Building the Mishkan was kasher tziva Hashem Moshe, as Moshe. Everything we're doing exactly to the T as God commanded Moshe. No more and no less. That's how the Mishkan was helpful in serving as a tshuva for the Chet Egel. The Paraduma, we know, is the quintessential chok. Zos chukas ha-Torah. So writes the Beis HaLevi, with the mitzvah of the paraduma, it's not just one isolated chok, but it's teaching us a guiding principle. This is really a fence to protect ourselves. If we want to investigate the reasons and the, and, and the underlying issues or philosophy behind the mitzvos, and there's definitely a time and place for doing so, we have svarim on that subject. But if we allow ourselves potentially to get carried away and to be more concerned about the reasons or the philosophy behind the mitzvah than the mitzvah itself, the mitzvah of paraduma is coming along and telling us, remember, just like you don't understand paraduma, just like you can't relate to what's going on, and, and even Shlomo HaMelech said, it's beyond me, 
That's true with every single mitzvah of the Torah. Zos chukas ha-Torah. Even the mitzvahs that we think we understand, there is so much more depth, there is so much more meaning, there is so much more sod and Kabbalah attached to everything that we're doing. And therefore, the paraduma is another way, another etza, another helpful um, hadrocha that Hashem is giving Klal Yisrael. Don't get carried away with your seichel. Don't think you're going to understand everything because no matter how hard you try, there are certain things that are beyond you. And the truth is, everything is beyond you. It's not just this one mitzvah, but it's all the Torah. It's every single word, every single letter of Torah Shebichsav and Torah Shebalpeh. It's endless in its depth and its breadth. It's beyond you. Don't worship the mind. Realize that there's so much more that the mind will never grasp. So according to the Beis HaLevi, we now understand the reason for the Egel Hazov in the first place. It was coming from this desire to connect more with Hashem, to feel Hashem's presence. The mistake of the Egel Hazov was the fact that it was not commanded by HaKadosh Baruch Hu. They took it really in their own hands and that's why it didn't work. Because you could do the exact same thing. But if the tzivui, if the command of God is missing, there's no magic. There's no energy. And therefore, the mitzvah of the building of the mishkan, right? They did exactly like HaKadosh Baruch Hu instructed them to do. That was a kapara for the Egel Hazav. And the mitzvah paraduma, the realization, the recognition that we know nothing in the vastness of the universe and the depth of the Torah and the complexity of the mitzvos, And therefore, we will not make the mistake again of the Egel Hazov. So the golden calf is really the worshiping of one's own assessment. Bowing down or giving too much reverence to my own conclusion of how I think this might bring me closer to a Kaddish Baruch Hu, but it's not actually in line with halacha. That was the chait of the golden calf. In uh, the 15th century, after the Inquisition, one of the great minds of the time, Rav Yosef ben Chaim Yaivitz, he wrote a beautiful commentary on Perkeovos, not to be confused, by the way, with Yaivitz, as a reference to Rav Yaakov Emden. But this is earlier than Rav Yaakov Emden. And uh, he also wrote the Orachayim. And the essay Orachayim, the Yaivitz deals with the, the trouble or the danger, the risk involved when allowing oneself to become too philosophically oriented. And he shares with us his own, um, I guess, eyewitness testimony of what he saw during the Inquisition. Who were the Jews living in Spain who actually had the courage, who had the strength of character, who had the bedrock of Munan Bitachon to say, I'm not going to play any games. I'm not going to pretend to convert. I'm going to do whatever I possibly can to save myself and my family and to save my Judaism. And if that means going to a far-off land, you know, somewhere in the middle of nowhere, we're going to get on the boat, we're going to pack our bags, and we're going to leave. 
And who were the people who just couldn't part with their possessions, with their home, their business? They were wealthy, they were influential, and, and they couldn't pull themselves away. And eventually, they did fall prey to the pressure. Writes the Yaivitz, he says, in the Golis Vard, the majority of those people who took pride in their wisdom, in their Torah knowledge, or they held themselves on somewhat of a pedestal regarding their involvement with Torah and, and, and Chesed, Kulam hemiru as kavodam biyomar. On that bitter day, all of the intellectuals, all of the philosophers, all of the people that could run circles around you in any interesting debate about theology, Yomar took off the yarmulke, called it a day because they didn't want to lose everything they were working so hard to attain. Uh, so the Abarbanel, I assume, was in a league of his own. Right? His partner, though, forgetting his name right now, but the other minister of finance, he was in this category, and he did not have the gevura to leave. However, right, the plain, simple people, and the ignorant people, what do they do? Masru gufam umamonam al kedushas boram. They were ready, willing, and able to sacrifice everything they had, every possession, even their own lives, al kedushas boram, for the sanctity of a kedush baruchu. And the mushal that he shares, and is analyzing these two different very. Um, I guess the result of what seems to be piety and chachma, people who are priding themselves in their wisdom and then just losing everything in contrast to those who seem to be much more ignorant and, and disconnected from the depth of Torah, but somehow they stayed so rooted. The mushal, he says, is you have a tree. You might have this massive, beautiful tree with its branches you know, going high above the ground and its leaves are gorgeous, giving you a lot of shade. But if it's not firmly rooted, then you have a wind come. Here in Florida, we do it by category, right? Have a category two, it's not going to stand. Because it might be gorgeous, it might be strong looking, but it's not firmly rooted. Writes the Yaivitz, on the other hand, if you have a tree that is firmly rooted, going deep into the soil, although it doesn't look like much above the ground, and you walk right past it and you're not going to say, Ma ilana, what a beautiful, gorgeous tree. It's not going to strike you. You won't notice it. However, you'll have a category five where buildings are being destroyed, but that tree is going to stay strong because it's firmly rooted. Those were the Amaratsim because they didn't confuse themselves with their seichel. Right? That's the assessment of the Yaivitz. A similar idea we find in the writings of Rav Nachman Mibreslov. 
He says that when we go solely based on our intellect, on our reasoning, on our individual or subjective assessment of the situation, we could fall into major traps, get ourselves into trouble. The lovely de Roos Gedolos, and it might actually lead to great evil. Iker Hayados, what is the main feeling or the main connection with Judaism? Writes of Nachmi Breslov, who Rachlelich Betimimus Ubipshitus, to be able to go with a sense of wholesomeness, with a purity, with a simplicity. Blishum chachmos, without confusing ourselves with the seichel. And to analyze everything we do with a very clear equation. That I want Hashem to be involved with what I'm doing. I want HaKadosh Baruch Hu to be pleased with my actions and my decisions. Without worrying too much about how I look, how will they perceive me, what's my reputation going to be? Rak, what should I have in mind? Im yesh kavod Hashem yisborach yasa. If this will bring more kavod shemayim, if this will uplift those around me, then yasa, then do it. V'im lav, and if it won't bring kavod shemayim, regardless of what that means for me, then love, then don't do it. It sounds so incredibly simple. What makes it so complicated? Because we get so convoluted and everything is complex. So there is a hashkafa here that, that I think it has to be understood because superficially this hashkafa is not necessarily Judaism. The Yaibitz is telling us, and Rav Nachami Breslov is, is sharing with us, that sometimes we could get confused and stuck and trapped in the Seichel and then miss the boat. The answer to this problem is not, forget the Seichel, forget the intellect, we don't care about the Das and the Chachma and the Bina so much, that's not a main thing, just, just feel it. Just live it, just breathe it. That's obviously not the Torah approach either. The first out of all the Bakashos in the Shemona Esrei, the first thing we ask for before Rafua and Parnasa and Geula, what's the very first thing? Give me Das. I want to understand myself. I want to understand others. I want to understand the Torah HaKadosha. Take me deeper. Give me seichel. This hashkaf is not to, to mitigate the importance of, 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 of yearning for seichel. The only way we have a chance of fighting the Yetzirah, of growing and, and making real strides towards Hashem, is through utilizing the mind. That's how we learn Torah. We have to utilize the mind. That's part of the process of tefillah. We very much cherish the Seichel to the point that the Tefillin Shel Rosh has more Kedusha than the Tefillin Shel Yad. The Rosh is, is viewed as the Melech of the body because everything is based on the brain.
The warning, though, the caution that we find from the Yavitz and from Rav Nachman Breslov is, don't fool yourself or don't allow yourself to get stuck into a position where all you are is your mind. All you are is your intellect trying to make decisions and, and, and therefore veering off what perhaps is the Derech Torah. The Derech Torah is, I want to know the Ratzon Hashem. And within the Ratzon Hashem, obviously to utilize the Seichel, to maximize my mind, to use it aggressively. But within the Ratzon Hashem, not allowing it to go in whatever subjective or personal direction it may tend to go. The famous Gemara in Shabbos speaks about the story of Rava. Rava was in the middle of learning and he was so intensely focused on learning, he was sitting on his fingers and his fingers started to bleed. So there was a person who was watching this and he was standing there in awe and disgust, thinking to himself, this is what you do? You're, you're such a space out, right? An absent-minded professor. You're sitting there poring over your volume of Talmud and blood is squirting out of your finger and you don't even recognize it. So the person said to Rava famously, I'm a Paziza. You're, you're a nation that's impetuous. And he says, you go back historically your, your whole evolution doesn't make any sense. You said Nasa Venishma. You said that we're going to do and then we're going to try to learn and, and understand, but we're making a commitment even before we understand. And therefore, you're impetuous. You're not thought out. Where's the Seichel Rava? I'm a Paziza. And it sounds like he was telling him, just like your ancestors made a decision that was obviously lacking clear mind and body, you're following in their footsteps. You're doing the exact same thing. You're sitting here totally spaced out, not even knowing that your finger's bleeding. What was Rubber's response to this guy? Rubber said back, Anan disaginan bishle musa. You think it was uh, impetuous? You think it was lacking thought? Do you know why we accepted the Torah? Do you know why we said Nasev and Nishma, which is probably the highest level of Klal Yisrael ever attained? Because we have Shlemus. We have a Tamimus We have a wholesomeness. Because we have Bitachon and Hashem. You're looking at me and thinking that I'm silly, that I'm misinformed that I'm doing something that doesn't make sense, and you're right. To you, living in your narrow-minded world, it doesn't make sense. But to me and Klal Yisrael, the reason why it was not illogical to say Nasev and Nishma is because we have this Shlemos, we have this wholesome bitachon. There's a context to what was done. There's a context to what's happening right now. Yes, I'm engrossed in my learning. That's not Amapaziza. That means I'm obsessed with love for HaKadosh Baruch Hu and His Torah. Sometimes it's hard standing on the outside to appreciate going beyond the Seichel. Going beyond the Seichel doesn't mean doing something that's silly or that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to an outsider. 
But the tafkid, right, the ikr hayadus, the main goal of Yiddishkeit is not to be an outsider. It's to get ourselves inside the world of Torah. If I'm inside the world of Torah, I'm feeling this relationship with Hashem, then it's not a lack of seichel. Of course I'm going to accept. Of course I'm going to commit my life to you because I, I believe in you. And I know that, that you want my best. What was the chait of the Eitz Hadas? Right, the chait of the Eitz Hadas, when it describes Chava taking the fruit, it looked so incredibly delicious. And therefore, she took the esrog, and it smelled great until she took a bite. <laughs> Every kid has to try the bite of an esrog to realize it doesn't taste as good as it smells. But obviously, the, the motivation or the temptation of Chava was not just superficially. It looked delicious. There were many other fruit throughout the entire Gan Eden that looked just as good, I guarantee you. So explains the Rebbe Nebuchadnezzar. Kavanosam, the intent of Adam and Chava together was, Kedei lahazkil, like it says, Nechmad ha'etz lahazkil. The reason why it was so enticing and so attractive is because they understood through eating this Eitz we're going to gain more Seichel. And whatever exactly their intentions were, that's well beyond the scope of this conversation. But, but the basic structure was they were motivated to come closer to Hashem. It wasn't just the base animalistic taiva, I can't hold myself back, I know it's wrong, but I have to. It was coming from a, a, a pure fire. They wanted nothing else than to cleave the devekas to Hashem. And they thought in their own assessment that this would be a very productive, very effective way of getting themselves there. So then what was wrong? What was their big mistake eating from the Eitzadas? Says there Ben Abachaya, the only problem was is that they didn't listen to Hashem. Hashem said, don't eat from the tree. I don't care about your seichel. I don't care about all of your deep Kabbalistic cheshbonos. I said, don't eat from the tree. If I'm telling you that Kriya Shema is 931, and after 931, we're not Yotze Kriya Shema, then theoretically, you could wake up at 5.45 in the morning and go for a jog and meditate and practice his bodhidus and say the entire Sefer Tehillim four times. And by the time you get up to Kriya Shema, you're, you're almost hovering above your chair. But if it's 9.32, you're not Yotze Kriya Shema. That's not my spirituality, says the Kaddish Baruch Hu. That's your own seichel. It's a very delicate balance. That was the mistake of the Eitz Hadas. HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells Adam and Chava, I, I appreciate that you want to come closer to me. That's why I created you. But the only way for this to happen is through listening to the tzivui, is to following the Das Torah, following the Chachamim, following the, the guidelines of Halacha. Anything outside of that, it's not bringing you closer, it's bringing you farther. And therefore, in that sense, the Eitz Hadas and the Egel Hazov, 
Right? The greatest sin of an individual and the greatest sin of a nation really comes down to the same idea. Even with the best intentions, if we're following, if we're trapped within our seichel, then we could very likely make a very severe mistake. And it's not just the seichel, it's also the way we feel. Like we started with. If I can't understand why I'm doing it, if I can't feel connected with it, or I'm not in the mood, then it's very difficult to tell someone, but we have to do it anyway. There's a responsibility. Now, it's easier in the context of a relationship. Right? A person has a, has a good friend or his spouse. There are many things you might not feel in the mood to do or to say, but, but that's part of the achrayas. That's what we're here for. I cherish the relationship more than I care about the fact that I'm not in the mood to do something. But in the context of Judaism, in the context of halacha, it's harder for us to perceive it in that way. I think especially when we deal with millennials, and millennials do get a bad rap, but there is something to be said that growing up in, in a society where many of us didn't have those same struggles. There was no fear of maybe not having a job next week, of maybe not having enough food to really sustain the family. And, and so much of the education, so much of the, 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 the hashkafa that we're exposed to is do whatever you want. Find your dreams. Become who you really are. Discover yourself. And there's a lot of good, a lot of, a lot of positive within that, but there's a lot of danger as well. That if I'm not feeling it, and it's not who I am, so then I won't do it. The Chadushi Arim says that when we have the mitzvah in Kriyashma, that we have a mitzvah of Avas Hashem, Bechol Levavcha, Bechol Nafshecha, Bechol Meodecha. So what does Bechol Nafshecha mean? To love Hashem with all of your life? So it means even if that requires giving my life. So what does Bechol Levavcha mean? With all of your heart. And how is that connected to Bechol Nafshecha? explains the Chadushi Harim, the grandfather of the Svas Emes. He says that, Which means, even if my heart is not with me, even if I'm not feeling it, even if my heart is not here, I'm still going to serve you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Ein hu potter mikach v'tzorech la'aber as Hashem b'chol matzav u'b'chol darga. So I might not understand. I might not feel super comfortable with it. I obviously have to have the premise that I know at least on, on, on the so that this is the right thing to do. But once I'm in the world, I'm not standing on the outside. B'chol levavcha is, even if I'm not feeling it right now, I'm an Eved Hashem. I'm devoted to a Kaddish Baruch Hu. This is my life. This is my whole she'ifa. This is my, this is my goal of being alive. And the fact that I might not have my seichel line up with the mitzvah, and I might not have my lev line up with the mitzvah, it doesn't mean, therefore, I'm going to hold back 
or stay in the sidelines. But l'chol levavcha means I'm still going to approach it and give it every ounce that I have. Okay, shkoyach.